Hey guys, this is season one, episode four of the Professional Guild of America podcast. Today we have special guest, the one and only Ron Bruno, Zeta School of Finance, Zidio School of Finance, MBA holder, my good friend. Um, today we're going to get to know Ron and have him back on in two weeks to talk about some interest rates for all the home buyers out there. So stay tuned. It's a good episode. Alrighty, so we're back. So here I have Ron Bruno, and we have some prepared questions. But first off, let's just kind of get a little round off. So Ron, what's new in your world and just in terms of finance? <laughs> so I appreciate that introduction, and thank you for the opportunity for having me on. Uh, you know, what's new? You know, we're now in a time of quarantine, and we're in a time of uncertainty, and Life as we know it has uh, really changed. Uh, you know, if I were to go back in a time machine, I probably would have stocked up on lots and lots of toilet paper uh, at New Year's as well as bought a lot of Zoom stock. <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> so, exactly. So, yeah, life is, life is very, very different. Uh, you know, I would say in February... Uh, it was a big refi boom. Everybody jumped on the, the refi uh, bandwagon. Uh, and, and just so you know, uh, for your listeners, I'm a residential loan officer. So um, I was in high demand in the month of February. Rates have uh, shot up since, uh, but we're hoping to uh, see a little bit more relief uh, as the markets calm down a bit. So lots have happened. Uh, lots of lot lots have happened uh, in this past couple of weeks. So it's been busy. All right, good stuff, good stuff. So kind of what we want to do today is talk about some defining moments in your life and over your career. Uh, so let's just get right into it. So our first question is, what did you learn from your father? Okay, so you know a couple of things I learned from my dad. Uh, you know, so first of all, I'm from Chicago originally. Uh, my dad, he uh, was a, he actually traded pork bellies on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, if you can believe that. Uh, so if you've ever seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off, uh, you know, where they show the Chicago Merc, where they're doing the hand signals, Cameron's doing the hand signals. My dad was actually on the floor when they filmed that. Uh, so, you know, it's interesting. My dad, he's always been kind of an operator, uh, in, more on the management side versus out out front in front of people. Uh, you know, I would say I learned a lot uh, from my dad in my first couple of years working for him. Uh, you know, so my dad, after uh, the mercantile exchange and, uh, and a couple of other different careers, uh, he became an owner operator of Taco Bell. So he was a franchisee. And that was my first job at 12 years old. And I learned a couple lessons there. Number one, I remember I came home one day and, you know, he uh, you know, I just was kind of depressed and I was a little bit fed up at work. And, you know, I'm like, dad, you know, I just want to take the money. You know, I don't want to clean up the nacho cheese vats and I don't want to clean out the sour cream gun and I don't want to clean up the lobby and the bathroom. And it's just gross. Right. I don't, I don't want to do that stuff. I just want to take the money. And my dad said, well, son, <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And he's like, well, you know, if the manager tells you to do those things, you're going to do it. And that really was the demarcation between productive member of society and spoiled brat. So, you know, he's like, do you want to get paid? I said, yeah. And he's like, well, you're going to do those things. 
because I tell I pay the manager and I tell the manager you know what to do and you know the manager tells you what to do. So it was kind of that uh, understanding of pecking order and that you know no matter where you are in life, you you always have to work hard. Uh, so it was a real real strong life lesson. Um, so I'd say you know that was uh, I had a, a very strong uh, expression from my dad. That's awesome. That's, uh, I think, something that might be kind of missing from a lot, of, especially like the millennial crowd, like our gen- my generation in particular, is the fact that there is a, a pecking order, as you, as you said, and that you do have to work hard. You don't get something for nothing. And I think that's, uh, I don't know if it's lacking in today, but I think it's something to definitely be aware of. Someone of your caliber, um, MBA and all that, still understands the importance of the work ethic that you have yep. either your productive member of society or you're not contributing. But um, our next question that we have for you is, what did you learn from your mother? You know, I would say from my mom, uh, the biggest traits that I get from her are my optimism uh, and people skills. Uh, my mom has always, you know, first of all, I never really saw my mom complain growing up at all. Um, she would always treat people as equals and she always saw the good in people. Uh, so I would say, uh, really, I, I get my people skills and my optimism from my mom. I have a follow-up question for you, Ron. Sure. When it comes to kind of merging both of the things that you, you've taken from your parents and how it's formed you as a successful professional, I'm curious to know, how how important is it to the the soft skill aspect in managing relationships and treating people with respect? I'm really curious because you know, as young professionals, we hear that it's important, but obviously, because in our job positions, we tend to do more of the grunt work and we don't really see those intangibles at the at the managerial level. How important has that? side of the of of your skill set and professional development how important has that been in in your career trajectory uh, so there's a there's a lot of good questions there so i would say it's incredibly important and i would say that's definitely um, a big strength of mine uh you know when it when it's come to uh the managerial side of things you know, I think what I got from my dad is, you know, I remember uh, when I asked him for money to go to, you know, go to the movies, right? He would always say, okay, what's your plan? And I'm like, well, I want to go see a movie. What do, you, what do you mean, what's my plan? And he said, no, no, no. Like, tell me, what are you going to watch? What, you know, what are you going to buy? And, and, you know, how are you going to pay this back, right? So he want, you know, he, he stressed, what is your plan? So I've always been a planner from that perspective. Uh, but I've also, you know, incorporated a lot of soft skills and, you know, it's interesting. I, I remember my first job uh, after college was working in an advertising agency. And, you know, while I was interning, so I went to Emory, I was in business school for my undergrad. Uh, you know, I had several internships, but the one that really uh, – married up with where I really wanted to be was working for an advertising agency. So I was working for this company called 360 and 
I remember uh, I was on the account management side. So these are the people that work with clients. So the directors of marketing and the VPs of marketing, and mm -hmm. you're working with that client and the people that actually produce the creative, if you will, I'm using air quotes, but the creative, so the people that actually create the ads and, and the copywriting and all that, they're on the other side. And when I uh, was, when I graduated, they didn't have a position available on the account management side, but they did have a position on uh, in traffic, which was really that go between. So literally what would happen is the account service, they would bring the changes or, or the creative brief, whatever it was, they would bring it directly to traffic. And then traffic had to decipher and position it to the creative people in terms of what needed to be done, right? And if you had an account manager talk directly to creative, it was like mixing oil and water. It just was not a, a good mix at all because you have two different types of personalities. So traffic was really that go-between. So um, I learned a lot in that particular position. And I remember... Uh, I would actually, when I eventually had a position open on the account management side, I would take the lessons that I learned. Uh, so creatives, you know, they would create a, an ad, they would, whatever they were working on, and that was their baby, right? So it was mm -hmm. their craft, it was their, uh, their in intellectual uh you know, it was their it, it was their intellectual byproduct, right? So, mm -hmm. for them, that meant a lot to them. And when you had an account rep that came in that said, "Oh, that's you know, that's crap. The client hates it," you know, it doesn't really inspire you to go and do some work. Right. So right. when I became an account executive, I actually was able to bypass traffic and talk to the creatives directly because I had that experience. So they actually gave mm -hmm. me that opportunity where I could go directly to the creative and I already knew kind of where they came from. Right. So I knew that, you know, I, certain people, like I remember there were a lot of guys and we needed to change an ad. I would tell them, I said, okay, here's the deal. The client loves the work, which was true. And I would always start with the positive. I would say the client loves the work. There's a few small tweaks. I understand it's going to push things back, but I've already got a six pack in the fridge for you. Pizza's on the way. I've called your, I called your <laughs> wife and you're going to meet us all out for happy hour afterwards. And you got a seat at the table. Wow. So I knew how to kind of, you know, to, to work where they were motivated. And when they finished high fives all around and everything else. So I would say, you know, that's really my greatest strengths in being able to kind of wow. marry those two things. And it, and, it, and it translates with what I'm doing now in lending. You know, the way I talk to certain people in the transaction is very different. What I share with an underwriter, I'm not going to give them the life story of my borrower. I'm going to speak in plain facts and I'm going to make sure that I have everything buttoned up uh, before I have conversations. I can talk freer and, and, and more plainly to other people in the transaction, but you know, you only, you only share what you need to share with certain people. So um, I think I learned a lot of that um, through, you know, that optimism and being able to motivate people from, from my mom's side, but also uh, business has to get done. And, and that's really what I, I think I came, uh, what I got from my dad. One quick 
last follow up question of that, and I'm sorry, this there's you said just a lot of interesting things right there. Mm. Uh, out of curiosity, from in the in the financial world, I've always had that perspective that people who demonstrate a high level of communication skills and to a certain extent empathy it don't don't come as often around just because finance has that reputation of being cutthroat because money's involved would you say that this is the case or is this just <laughs> this is just an overly grossly uh estimation of 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 that industry the general sphere you know so so there's there's something to be said about finance so some people say if you want to go into numbers go into marketing if you want to go into sales then go into finance <laughs> right so mm-hmm. you know marketing was you know so my background so i have 10 years of of advertising marketing business development uh national account experience so that was the first 10 years of my career and then i did a complete 180 and while I was getting my MBA at Pepperdine, I uh, actually switched from global business uh, to uh, finance. So I had to learn all of this on my own. Um, and, and, and it was a, a pretty, you know, uh, uh, baptism by fire experience. It was in the middle of the financial crash, right? So <laughs> oh, gosh. I, you know, so I joined Merrill Lynch as a financial advisor uh, in 2008. So I, I joined in April 2008. And during that time, Bear Stearns and Lehman had already collapsed. And then by the time I received my license was August of 2008, where I had a quota in bringing in assets. And we were one month uh, from given being given to Bank of America uh, through the whole financial crash. And I, I had to learn. And, and, you know, what was really interesting, I, I would listen to the conversations that, you know, I had joined a team and I would listen to some of the conversations and I would just see the fear in people's eyes and voices. Mm-hmm. And they were scared of cash. Everything was questioned. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you're, when you're new as a financial advisor, you know, you, you have to memorize because you have to take that horrible test, the Series 7 and the 6-6 six, six and all these different types mm. of tests out there. And you just have to memorize it. Uh, and, you know, while I was studying for the Series 7, I also went to classes and I was, you know, I was, I was a finance major. So I would have other people in my class and they came from different backgrounds, but we all were pretty much in the finance world. So I would have people at Countrywide, I have people at Goldman Sachs, I had people at Chase, and we were all pointing fingers, right? So we're like, no, it's Countrywide's fault. No, it's Bank of America's fault. So like we were all, you know, it was just, you know, taking what I was memorizing and and really blowing it up and questioning everything. So um, during that whole period, I just learned so much because you didn't take anything for granted. You didn't take, you didn't take the, you know, what, you know, I remember they would say, uh, you know, Fannie and Freddie, right? So uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, they are uh, divisions of the government and they will always be protected. And I would, I would question and I would say, well, what about the preferred bondholders, right? They, you know, preferred stockholders, you know, they, they got screwed during, during this whole thing. And they're like, well, no, just memorize that they're part of the government, right? So everything was questioned. Uh, and, you know, I would say the people that make it in finance, they, they have to listen to their clients, right? So that's what's really important. And, you know, I would say there's, there's a big difference between the 
corporate side of finance, so dealing with businesses and institutional finance and, and hedge funds and all that, and the personal finance. Personal finance is very, very different, right? So I, I started as a financial advisor, and now I'm doing residential lending. But it's, it, it's all about listening to the client and, and really assessing their risk. Uh, I think, you know, what's happening right now with the coronavirus there are a lot of people that are scared, and rightfully so. Mm-hmm. It's a big unknown. Mm-hmm. And when I talk to my clients, uh, you know, my job isn't to convince them to move forward with something or, or whatever. It's, it's, it's to listen and really assess what's, you know, what they're thinking and what they're, what's going on, and then being able to advise them, right? That's, that's, what it's, that's what it's all about. So, you know, I have clients where, you know, rates have shot up. And, you know, they ask me, you know, is now a good time to lock or should I wait? And I say, okay, well, you know, it depends on you, right? So if you're a, if you're a a betting person and you think that the rates can, can go further down, then, okay, then you can float, right? Which means you don't lock the loan, but the rates can go up and they may not come back down, right? But if you're a risk averse person, then you can lock and then we could do what's known as a rate renegotiation. And for just a small little percentage, you could actually uh, get a lower rate, right? During, during the process. Mm. So, so, you know, but I put it on them. It's not my call, right? It's, it's not. And then if there's someone that's like, you know, I just don't want to move forward on a purchase. Fine. That's, that's totally up to you. It is not my, it's not my responsibility, nor it's my, it's not my call. That's really up to, to the, uh, to the client themselves. And it was the same thing uh, when it came to wealth management. If I had a client where, you know, they had a million dollars, I would ask them the question, how much do you want in cash? You know, how much do you need to have in cash so you can sleep well at night? And some people said a million dollars. And I said, okay, then you're probably not going to be someone who wants to invest in the stock market. And that was mm-hmm. okay. You know, it wasn't just about, you know, doing a risk profile and, and have them, you know, choose between five different pies. It was really asking those questions. Uh, so, I, you know, I would say from my, from my background in, in just working in a lot of different companies and just having that human intuition, um, it's really helped from that standpoint. Well, that's awesome. Hey, Ron, I have so much one question to follow up off of that. Sure. When you, we're talking about these skills, these, these are hard to master. And I'm, a, I'm sure that you've gone through a, a lot of down spots when things didn't work out as well as you thought that they would and you had to fine tweak your skills. How did you keep yourself from giving up? Wow. So that's a really good, that's a really good question. So, uh, you know, I would say a lot of it comes from uh, watching my parents, right? So my dad, he was an entrepreneur, always been an entrepreneur. And, you know, there were years where it was feast or famine. Um, I remember there were some Christmases, Mm. we got some really cool gifts and things have gone, you know, things were amazing. And then there were years where it was, you know, slim pickings, right? And Mm -hmm. it was, it wasn't about, uh, you know, looking at the world where, you know, having, you know, a certain point in life that defines you, it was more of a journey. So it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's looking at it from a longer term perspective. It's, it's, it's saying, okay, you know, things might be down now, but why are they down? 
right? Is it, is it outside? Is it something internal? Is it something that I need to do? Um, and, and kind of reinventing yourself. You know, one of the things that, uh, you know, last year was god awful when it came to my personal production as a loan officer. Uh, you know, I couldn't get anybody on the phone this time last year. Uh, rates were, you know, they were pretty high and there was demand was kind of sluggish. And, you know, I, I had just moved here to Texas, you know, from moving from California and I didn't know a lot of people. And I, you know, I, I spent a lot of time just kind of focusing in one area. You know, I was working with, you know, one particular um, real estate group and, and there wasn't a lot of ROI from that. Mm -hmm. Right. So what I, realized is I started to go back through and fortunately things started to pick up later in the year. So some of my, uh, you know, my, my realtors from California and some of my wealth managers and some of my clients, you know, they started to kind of come back around and say, Hey, we need your help. And I realized that, you know what, I really need to be focusing on the right types of clients where I'm going to be best suited. Mm -hmm. Right. And that has always been business owners. Right. So I, I work very well with business owners because I understand, A, I came from that world. Right. My father's always been an entrepreneur. My family's been entrepreneurial. Uh, but I also I, I learned uh, that's how I learned the business. Right. Working with with successful business owners and not successful business owners, just business owners in general. I understand their complex uh, financial uh, backgrounds and all of that. Um, and then also professionals. So, you know, CPAs and attorneys and, and wealth managers and, and realtors. So I, I understand that world very well. And then executives, right? I've always, I've always worked for them. And then I always have a sweet spot for helping out first time home buyers uh, because I, I want them to understand the process. And I love to educate if you can't tell. Right? So I, I, I love being able to explain things. And it's funny because, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, I'll have a client and they'll ask me uh, and they'll just keep me going. They'll just keep asking questions and asking questions. And it sounds like I'm telling them the history of mortgages. And my wife, you know, she she calls it sexy talk. Right. So I'm just out there talking about things in complex terms, but trying to make it where people understand it. Uh, so you know, I'm trying to get back to what we were, we were talking about, but I would say, um, you know, so, so when I, uh, you know, when I realized that, okay, these are the people that I can really help, then I kind of refocused my effort and said, okay, you know, if I, if I, if I'm going to help the people the most are going to be those business owners and executives professionals, who are those professionals that I need to work with and talk to and, and kind of re-engage. And I made it a point um, starting at the end of last year and, you know, through the beginning of this year to just call everybody up, right. And just see how they're doing and what's going on and how can I help them and, and really networking with, with those professionals. Uh, so CPAs and attorneys and wealth managers and commercial lenders, people that are working with business owners and executives, uh, because those are really the people that I can help the, the most, right. That just based on, based on a fit and everything else. Uh, but I, I certainly, my door's wide open to anybody that wants to talk to me. Uh, and, and that's really, you know, so this year, uh, you know, provided we can get rates back down, um, it's going to be a good year. And it's just kind of that refocus. So it's not, uh, you know, where last year was just horrible and, you know, I need to hang it up and that's it. It's, it's no, what was I, you know, where was I putting my efforts? Where was I focusing? 
what's going to give me the greatest opportunity? And it's just talking to more and more people. And, you know, I think a lot of that also comes from um, working with my wife, you know, so my wife is a successful mm. business owner. And I, you know, I was able to see what she was working on and just the amount of time and the effort and the meetings and the, and, and the emails that she writes and just like, I mean, wow, it's just amazing what she's been able to develop. And, you know, while things were slow, I, I, you know, I sold some sponsorships, right. For, for her company. Mm -hmm. And that, that helped, you know, you have to do what you have to do. Right. So coming from that world where, you know, my mom worked at, you know, worked at Taco Bell and, you know, the whole family did you, you support each other and it's, it's not, you know, something that just defines you. It's, it's, you know, work has to be done, right? You have to feed the family. So that's, that's what it's really, what it's really all about. That's, I, that, that's a good frame. That's amazing. And you've hit on pretty much like a lot of the key Mm -hmm. points, questions that we have prepared. So just kind of in summary, um, so from, from dad, you learned the business management side of things having to get done. From mom, you learn the communication skills of how to talk to people and how to stay optimistic. And you've also pivoted onto business and slightly from school. But there's three more questions we got to get on just for the flow of the, the conversation. Um, but that was that was amazing. We really enjoyed that. And so the next question that we have lined up is, what did you learn from school? And there'll be two more questions, and then we'll wrap. It up. Okay. So what did I learn from school? You know, if I were to go back. Uh, you know, first of all, I'm a procrastinator. <laughs> I am a self-proclaimed procrastinator. And I remember, uh, you know, elementary school, middle school, high school, if I had to go back, I probably uh, I probably would have done my homework, not on the way to school or not in, the, you know, <laughs> while the class was starting, right? So I was, I was that bad of a procrastinator where I would do homework the day after the, you know, so the day that it was due and I, I kind of game the system where I, I, I knew what the teacher wanted and I would be able to, you know, work with the teacher and all those types of things. And I would get, you know, good grades. Right. So I think I was more concerned about if people liked me and if I was popular and, and just kind of getting along with really focusing and learning. Um, I was, you know, if, if, if I were to go back, I probably would have been diagnosed ADD or, you know, ADHD, one of those, um, because I was always a daydreamer. Like if I looked at all of my, you know, just feedback from teachers, daydreamer was always on there, <laughs> right? And, you know, for me, I, I, I'm not a, I'm not a, uh, I don't learn by listening. I don't learn by reading. I'm a, I'm an experiential learner. I'm with you. So, <laughs> right. So I have to feel it. I have to do it. I have to actually, you know, put things into place. So if someone were to give me a list of instructions and then we're like, well, you, you did this completely wrong. I'm like, well, I did it based on how I think it should be done. <laughs> right. So, I mean, I can't even walk into an Ikea. Like there's just all of those instructions. Like, forget it. I can't, I am not mechanically inclined, self-professed. And another thing I learned from my dad, which kind of gives me a, you know, gets me off the hook a little bit is he said, he told me, he's like, you always put your, you want to put your aces in their places. And what he means by that is you want to make sure that 
the people that are experts at their particular job, you want to hire them. You don't have to be an expert at every single piece of your job. I remember when I was working at Taco Bell, I was this little shrimpy kid and I couldn't reach the top of the warming cabinet to make burritos. And I wanted to make burritos. And I was, I was slow. I was not coordinated. And there were these guys on the line that would just knock these things out so fast. And I wanted to make burritos. And I wanted to make tacos. But I was slow. And I would spill food. And it just was – I was clumsy. And my dad's like, look, I need you out front in front of the customers. People love you. You're, you're fast. You, you help them. You're, you always get great grades on that. And that's where I need you, right? So that was the biggest, that was the biggest thing. So I'd say school-wise, I, I think the biggest challenge I had was in college, right? I had to actually learn how to study. And, and it wasn't just about memorizing. Like, you actually had to study hard. So uh, college, college was tough for me. Um, but a big, uh, you know, I would say a big incentive, I remember uh, I – you know, I partied a little bit my first semester. I went to Oxford College, right? So that's the ah, okay. uh, yeah. memory. And Oxford was a lot different when I went there when you guys went there. Um, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. It's fun now too, but it it was it was a little different, right? So it was it was definitely a party school, but it was a small school, and right. I, I got seized my first semester there and my dad just said look if, if this is what you're gonna get and the amount I'm paying then you're gonna have to go work at Taco Bell <laughs> and I didn't think oh, that's what you can imagine right because I did not want to go back to the island and you know I, I grew up in Hilton Head Island oh really which is a resort area uh, yeah yeah so I didn't I didn't want to go back to the island and, and work at Taco Bell um, I I wanted to stay in school so that was a big motivator uh, so it was kind of that you know carrot and stick approach um, and I definitely uh, felt, felt the stick uh, from trying to turn things around. Uh, but again, I would say, you know, school-wise, you know, Emory, from an undergrad perspective, I had incredible teachers. I had brand managers at Coca-Cola teaching my marketing classes. Uh, we had the, you know, Warren Buffett was a guest speaker. The CEO of Merrill Lynch was a guest speaker uh, that came to the, you know, that came to Gazueta and my, you know, for our graduation, uh, we had the Dalai Lama, <laughs> right? Yeah. So it's wow. like, I had like celebrities that were teaching my classes and would come in, uh, you know, from a, uh, you know, just from, uh, a, you know, a visiting perspective. And it was, it was incredible. I mean, just the exposure and this, it was a, it was a fun time. I graduated in 98 and the Olympics were, you know, we're in Atlanta in 96 and it was just a, a great time to be in school. And, uh, you know, uh, 10 years later, uh, I, w you know, in Los Angeles, uh, I went to uh, graduate school and I went to Pepperdine and Pepperdine was a lot more hands-on so and it also you know has to do with you know the people that you're working with in the full-time program they're all working right so i i was able i already had 10 years of experience of working in the real world but it was very application based and i would say that i probably learned more just because of who i am because i was able to apply what i was learning in school so i remember you know, I was a finance major and I was, you know, global business before that. But I remember, you know, probably one of the biggest lessons that I learned while I was there 
was, you know, I worked for a, uh, a machine tool company. So I was working in uh, industrial manufacturing and I knew nothing about machine tools before I joined, joined the company, uh, but they needed a marketing person. So I came on board as a marketing person. And I remember I was in my decision science class and they wanted us to build a linear programming model. So I'm building this linear programming model. And then they said, well, you can apply that to your, to your, to your actual company. So I started to put some things together and we built this model of the right types of machines that we need to build based on the constraints and, and, and price points and, you know, what we needed to include. And that actually became a model and I presented it to the president who I reported to and he's like, let's do it. Right. And we were able to make money and everything else. So uh, I would say, you know, with the education side of things, it, it was it was the application of being able to, uh, you know, what I learned and then to apply it to real world where I really learned the most. Mm. Mm. OK, OK. Uh, so last two questions. It's about sport and the last one you hit on already business. So what defining lessons did you learn? You know, so sports, uh, you know, so I, as I mentioned, I was, I was kind of shrimpy growing up. Um, I was a little bullied. Uh, I, you know, I, I liked playing baseball and I liked playing basketball and football. Uh, I, I didn't really excel in the team aspect um, from an organized perspective, but I would play, but I would like to play, you know, I'd play football with my friends out in the field. Um, and that was a lot of fun. Um, I really enjoyed that. Um, I did enjoy golf. You know, it was kind of one of those things that was a prerequisite if you grew up in Hilton Head. Mm -hmm. um, uh, plus, my dad at one point owned a golf course. So, you know, I had good lessons. Um, so I really enjoyed golf. I like the uh, challenge of it. Um, you know, sometimes I get a little frustrated because golf is kind of a frustrating game. Um, it is. But I, I think <laughs> it definitely is. Um, but I... You know, but I was able to, uh, you know, I kind of picked that back up here in, in, in Texas because there's a lot of golf courses here. Uh, but, you know, I would say where I excelled, uh, you know, I actually was music. Uh, my grandfather, uh, you know, he, uh, he played clarinet in the army band. And he was kind of a he was he was kind of a, a boss, right? So he he had this tattoo on his shoulder and it was an American Eagle and there was a script and that script said Eleanor and it had a, an American flag in the background. And, you know, he was he was he wasn't a tall guy, but, you know, he, he, he was kind of a badass. And I remember Grandpa, um, you know, he got me into playing trumpet and he also taught me how to fight. Right. So, as I mentioned um, a little bit in middle school and, you know, Grandpa, like, you know, is like, all right, point out the kid who's bullying you. And I pointed out the kid, and he's like, "Oh man, you can take that guy." <laughs> so <laughs> he just look. He he just said, "Look, next time he he you know he pushes you around, give him a warning, and then if he continues after that, you've given him the warning, just sock him in the mouth." So that's what I did. And my mom was like, "Oh my god, how could you do that? What are you thinking?" And you know, I like apparently ruined the guy's braces, but uh, you know, <laughs> but I, didn't really get, I didn't get messed around with that much. And then, you know, between eighth grade and ninth grade, I had this huge growth spurt and I grew like six or seven inches. So it was, it was crazy. And, you know, I think someone tried to pick on me that were, you know, they, they did that in middle school and then they tried it in high school. And I like, I, I gave him his warning and then I like lunged and grabbed him and threw him up against the science cabinet. 
in front of everybody. And they're like, okay, I guess we're not going to mess with him anymore. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things, um, you know, but I, as far as sports, I, I wasn't really into, into sports per se. I, I, I did music. Um, I played trumpet. Um, I remember, um, you know, one lesson that I did learn, um, uh, and that still, you know, takes me to this day. I remember, um, it was the winter concert and I was playing trumpet and I was a third, right? So, you know, so you have a first chair, a second chair and a third chair. So I was a freshman, I was young and there was this great trumpet player and, you know, he, he had the first chair, he got all the great solos and he was really gifted. Right. Um, but he also was screwing around one day and he missed his solo and it was for the winter concert in, in practice. Well, I had been practicing that solo on my own. Yeah. I wanted it. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I, I knew it was coming up and he was goofing around, I played it. <laughs> I, I played it right in front of the whole crew and I played it really well. And wow. I remember he was just beat red and so upset. And the instructor said, play it again. And I had, I played it in front of everybody just with no music around, nothing. And, I, and he's like, it's yours. And he just, he just like pointed right at me. He's like, you know, <laughs> Shannon, it's gone. You don't, you don't get that anymore. So yeah. I, you know, so I've never, I've never backed down from a challenge ever, you know? Yeah. So I, 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 I don't, mm. you know, so I, I kind of have that, uh, you know, that little bit of that millennial, uh, you know, uh, just, not, you know, I don't know. I don't know how to say it. I guess just not, not having to feel like you have to be in your place and have to, you know, wait till you earn it. I've had those moments where I've just seized it, where I just take, I, I just took it. Right. So I saw the opportunity and it presented itself and boom, just, just went in and took it. Right. So mm-hmm. that's, that's something uh, that was a pretty, uh, pretty strong memory. And, you know, and it was great. You know, the concert was excellent and everything else. I got in a fight with Shannon, but, you know, that's okay. He's not a girl. I didn't fight a girl. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just have one follow-up question on that. So, uh, you touched on, on, on two things. You touched on, on how, to a certain extent, bullying was a part of your life growing up and how you almost had to Take into your own, take that into your own hand, and the reason why I bring that up, and also you talked about how you pretty much took thing, took opportunities and, and bolted forward. You didn't let anyone give you the okay that you could you could step forward. And the reason why we're I, I want to ask that question is because Jonathan Simon and I were talking about the dichotomy the other day of when is it acceptable to wait for institutions in place to call your name up so you can step up to the plate and when 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 is it that you have to take things into your own hands and almost like take your destiny into your own hands and so my question to you is at at such a young age where I don't even know if you were thinking about it at that time but the way you responded to bullying because we know it's a, it's a it's a huge problem in the states the way you responded in even taking that opportunity in uh, in music did, does does these experiences, in your opinion, kind of formulate how you operate many many years afterwards, uh, or did you never really make that that connection con- conscientiously? Or I'm just really curious. 
Yeah, so it's a really good, good, good question. And, you know, I would say, you know, if I look at the, the bullying, you know, this was in the 80s, right? And, you know, if, if, if the teacher saw it, uh, and you were physically getting beaten, then they would break it up, right? And it just, it, that wasn't acceptable. But if they heard about it, it was just, you know, boys being boys. Right? right. So there wasn't there wasn't really an institution. There was nothing really against um, stopping it. And mm. it had more to do with standing up for yourself. And, you know, I think now that doesn't exist. Like, you know, I think if anyone's being bullied, they 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 stop it right then and there. And they they try to have this institution of of no bullying. Um, would my life have been easier? Maybe, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but I also probably wouldn't be as resilient as I am now, um, yes. you know, from that respect, uh, you know, so it was really changing, you know, changing my circumstance, you know, so mm. I, I didn't like getting, you know, I didn't like, um, you know, having to run from one place to the other and, and the threat of getting beat up or, or being a class clown um, and not get good grades because of the, uh, you know, of, of trying to kind of defray being bullied and, and, and really make fun of myself where I would be able to uh, um, kind of get away from that bullying side of things. Uh, but really it's, you know, grandpa's like, you could take this guy, you know, just hit him, do it once. Like you have nothing to lose. Right. And, you know, cause he's already hitting you. So might as well hit it back. And, and that's when, you know, that's when I kind of got that, that gumption. And, you know, I would say, uh, you know, when I was an intern, so I was, I was at Emory and, you know, I was working, you know, I was interning for the, uh, the advertising agency and, you know, what was really interesting is, um, we were pitching. So, you know, a lot of my friends, you know, they would go out and party and, and, you know, for me, my dad, you know, he, he said, look, you know, I had all, I had had all those years of experience, right, in, in working at 12 years old at Taco Bell, but I also was working in management in my dad's, in my dad's office, in, in working with all of his employees, and I mean, I was a supervisor at 16, right, and, mm. and, work, and telling 30-year-olds and firing 30-year-olds because they were goofing wow. off, they didn't go to work, right, so I already had that management experience, so when I was an intern, I remember uh, there was a, a uh, you know, we were pitching new business and the account was Fox Photo. Okay, so that was a great question. So, you know, one of the experiences, you know, really where I was able to, to kind of jump in and, and take that initiative, I remember I was working as an intern and, you know, we were pitching a product, right? So we were pitching this company and the company was called, you know, it was Fox Photo and they compete with Wolf Camera. Uh, you may remember Wolf Camera from Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And because the, our account management team, they were already working on all different types of projects. They couldn't dedicate a, a specific account exec to the Fox Photo pitch. So, I became that person. So at 19 years old, I was, you know, heading this whole initiative up to pitch the pitch the product and uh, and, and and pitch our agency for for the account. And it was funny because um, on on phone calls, they never mentioned I was an intern. So I was working with an executive, the VP of marketing in 
in St. Louis, right? So they were in St. Louis, we were in Atlanta. And the whole time they just said, don't mention your age. <laughs> don't mention you're in school. <laughs> just like, just, you know, just you're an account executive, right? So I became that account executive. So I was, you know, so I, all, while all my friends were out partying and having a good time, I was, you know, staying up till three in the morning and putting together designated market areas. And I had this huge, uh, this huge map uh, where we would have all of the Fox photos in, in all of these different areas because that was part of the pitch, right? And uh, part of that, uh, we did this whole, uh, we did a market launch in Houston. So uh, we were we were launching in Houston and we did, did the Houston time capsule. Um, so what we would wow. do is we created this whole campaign where we would, uh, Houstonites, they would take pictures uh, and then put them into a time capsule. Uh, and the idea was people were able to kind of dig those up 20 years after. But we had Rudy Tomjanovich, who was the, you know, he was the head coach of the Houston Rockets. He got on board. Um, so we had all of these different celebrities and people that were, you know, really big in the Houston area. Um, that was part of the campaign. And I was organizing the whole thing at 19 years old. Right. So I... It was in the studio uh, where we patched in Rudy and, and uh, you know, all of these different people and, and really coordinated the effort. And, uh, you know, I didn't really think at the time, oh, man, I'm over my skis. Like, you know, what am I doing? No, I just this was an opportunity. I took, you know, jumped in head first and 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 wanted to uh, be part of that. And I wasn't told no. So I just did it. Right. So, you know, and that's and that's kind of how how things have worked. Right. It's 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 not waiting for permission. If there if it makes sense for me to work on something, it wasn't that I needed to earn my, you know, earn my stripes. And I'm using a lot of analogies, but, you know, I, I didn't I didn't wait for my moment. Right. I just took it because I, I saw that I could do it and I had confidence and I knew it was something that needed to be done. That's awesome. That is that's awesome. We can go on for another hour if we if possible, but let's tie in this last question, then we'll wrap it up. So this last question, we've already answered it. But let's sum it up for the listeners. The question is, what have you learned from business? Okay, so yeah, we have covered a lot of that area. <laughs> uh, you know, I'd say you know, what have I learned from business? I would say that every, you know, every story, every experience, it, it, it kind of adds to what you currently do, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I feel that, you know, I wouldn't be as, as helpful as I am had I not gone through all of those other exercises, right? So I, it was really interesting. I, I had just turned 40, so this was three years ago, so I'm 43. And I, I had just turned 40 and I started looking back and I'm like, how the hell did I become a, you know, a residential loan officer? Like that was never in the cards. Like I think I wanted to be a surgeon when I was seven. Um, and then I realized I didn't like blood. So I'm like, yeah, I probably can't be a surgeon if I don't like blood. Uh, and I started to think about it. I'm like, how do I go from starting my career in advertising to working as a residential loan officer? And, and, and really what I, I, I started to kind of look at the parallels and, you know, just like, 
advertising, you have a finite budget, you have constraints, right? So you have to fit within certain guidelines. So an ad has to fit within a 30 second spot, or you have to fit within a particular layout, you know, so there's specs that are associated with that. Um, you also have lots of uh, decision makers, right? So you have to, you have to work with all different types of parties. You have huge egos, right? So you have the clients, you have, uh, you know, on, on both sides of the transaction as well as internally. Uh, you have a, you know, you have finite amount of time, right? So when it, when it comes to producing an ad, you have to submit it on time and, and within those specs, just like a loan. Um, and there's a lot of money, um, you know, that's associated with it. And if you, if things get out of control, then your whole world can spiral. So you have to keep things managed. And, you know, I would say, you know, having that experience in helping, helping clients when I was helping them in the, uh, the advertising world and, and, you know, at different pl places during my career and managing all different types of parties, it translates very, very well to what I'm doing now in helping people buy homes and working with realtors and working with, uh, you know, with my underwriters and working with an appraiser and, 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 and kind of getting, you know, thinking in their shoes, right. Putting myself in their shoes and their perspective and keeping things on track and motivating, motivating teams. So I would say, uh, you know, every single thing that you learn in your business life, it just, it just, you know, you just take it and it kind of compounds upon itself and you can apply it later on. So, you know, if you, if you have to take a job when you graduate and it may not be your career, that's okay. It's the key is what you learn in that particular mm -hmm. job. Right. And that's, that's what it's about. Right. So it's not, it's not, uh, you know, if I take this job, my career's finished and I might as well just, you know, throw in the cards. No, you're going to live a long life, hopefully. Right. So hopefully we all live really long lives. And, you know, I feel that I've already, you know, I've, I've been working since I was 12. So I feel like I've been working a long time, but I'm, I'm always learning. I'm always learning. I'm always, you know, picking up new skills and, uh, that's what that's what it's about. It's it's a part, you know it's all about in, you know being part of the journey. It's not just the end goal. You know it's, it's about you know taking what you experience and then translate that into how you can help others. That's awesome. So that is our special guest today, Ron Bruno. We thank you for having having you on today. This has been very insightful. Um, if you guys have any more other questions you guys want to ask Israel Simeon, chime in now. Otherwise, we'll tie it up and we will be back on in two weeks to be speaking on uh, rates and how that can affect potential home buyers. So, guys, stay tuned. Ron will be back on the week of April 5th. And we look forward to having you guys tune in. I hope you guys had a great listen. Sounds good. Thanks, JD. Right. Yeah, I know. I, I'm a little long-winded, so. <laughs> but, no, but I have to say, Ron, uh, I really appreciate just the willingness of fully, fully giving us the the, the picture behind who Ron is, because oftentimes yeah. when you when you speak to people, you know, people tend to stay at the surface level. And for right. example, just the fact that um, you're able to specifically 
deep dive into specific key defining moments i feel like it's not only applicable to us but to anyone listening to that podcast because i'm sure i'm sure you've all you've seen these people were like yeah it's easy making a million dollars you just have one great idea and there you go and you're like right. wait a second <laughs> it can't be that easy <laughs> right so exactly i yeah i think it's it's phenomenal i, I i'm enjoying myself so far